Hello. Welcome back. I'm Ryan McLeod and we're up to episode number 69 of Creative Chit Chat. Um, this week I'm joined by Richard Davies, who runs Abandoned Ship Apparel, um, which is a clothing company, and he's also um, co-owner and runs the Hard Grind uh, barber shops. Um, and now, as part of that sort of family, they've got Oh Hello Vintage just across the road on Exchange Street. Um, and before the end of the year, they're going to be opening an abandoned ship bar, uh, which is going to be next to uh, Bird and Bear. Um, you'll probably have seen the shop front go up with sort of um, street art uh, across the front of it. And I suppose, I mean, we talked, I talked to Richard about um, how he, he's creating this culture with lots of different touch points um, and what that means for Dundee. I mean, he actually talks about how um, he's tried a few things and it's actually been too early for Dundee. Uh, th- th- Dundee is actually behind Edinburgh, Glasgow, London. Um, and I think that's it's a very interesting perspective. And I think he, he makes a very valid point about that. Um, but, I mean, the, the, there's there's potential for us to catch up and to move forward. And I think, I mean, the next two weeks, it's only two weeks now, isn't it? To that moment we've all been waiting for. Everyone's cleaning up, tidying up, giving a coat of paint, um, putting new signs up, everything. Um, it's all happening. Yeah, it's that, that buzz is happening. And, and Richard talks about how he is trying to create this sort of alternative part of Dundee that you can go and visit so you, so you can come for the waterfront but you can also see all this other great stuff that's happening and he's sort of creating that area which he's, he's calling um, downtown Dundee um, to give people that alternative view and that alternative angle and alternative opportunities when they come to the city and I think it's having those voices and um, it's having those areas to allow people to, to go and explore the city and to have the things to do to see um, to buy, to enjoy um, when they visit the city and I think it is, is really, really valuable um, and also there another thing that really uh, poignant that we talk about is mental health um, we've gone into it in a few episodes now with different people but I think Richards is very much tied up in the I mean it stems from the failure of his business originally, he talks quite openly about that um, but now it's also sort of manifesting itself in the work-life balance and I'm finding it very difficult to distance himself and sort of separate work um, and social life and relaxing. And he talks about that and talks about trying to address that and I think it's a very, um, I mean, it's, it's a very relevant point for a lot of people, myself included, and it's how you find that balance and how you manage to actually switch off when you are running your own business and your own practice. And, and yeah, I mean, Richard's... Perspective and struggle on that is very uh, is, a, is a really interesting um, sort of insight into that. But yeah, um, before jumping into the episode, if you're new to the podcast, if you haven't listened before, you can follow us. It's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram, and it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. But yeah, let's get into the episode. So this is number 69 with Richard Davies. Um, so about seven years ago, my business journey, I guess, started. I'd uh, worked for other people prior to that uh, since the age of 17 in retail. I'd worked for places in Dundee and then eventually moved out with Dundee for opportunities living all over Scotland. Uh, so you, you grew up in Dundee? Yeah, so uh, born in Dundee. Uh, well, sorry, I lie. That's a, that's a lie already straight <laughs> off the bat. Uh, I was born in Kirkcaldy 
I moved to Dundee just before my first birthday. So I grew up in Dundee until I was 18 and then moved away. Um, so local to the city, grew up kind of, I think around the first time everything changed, like I was here when the Overgate got opened. Um, I actually, the first day the Overgate opened, I was sick in one of the bins. I was in school. <laughs> I wish I was joking. I was in uh, school and uh, I actually got sent home because I was unwell. Um, and my mum thought it would be a good idea to go and check out the Overgate because it op- just opened that day. I think it was like a Thursday or something. Um, unbeknownst to her, I was m- more unwell than I realised and uh, I ended up throwing up in one of the bins in the uh, in the Overgate. So that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, was, I, I remember the Overgate like when it was kind of like that weird kind of uh, loads of crazy little shops and then I rem- like when it actually got completely rebuilt and then the kind of decline of the Wellgate and everything like that. Um, so I was kind of always a sort of Dundee boy. When I, when I left at 18, I promised I'd never move back. Um, I think most people at that age kind of have that feeling about their hometown or if, if they want to move away. But um, yeah, I moved to, moved all over the place, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen, um, spent a bit of time in Leicester and London. So uh, is that working, working working in retail? Working in retail, yeah. So I got my first job in, uh, uh, my first proper job in shoe uh, when I was 17. Um, did that for a little while and then uh, worked for another place and then was looking to kind of climb up the ladder. Um, I'd, uh, I'd got into university, decided to decline my entry into university, become a primary school teacher to go to college to do art. I left college after two weeks because I hated it so I kind of ended up with like nothing and then just uh, started working in shoe about the same time and was like well money's cool I like money means I can go out and uh, and drink and uh, buy clothes and stuff so that kind of it kind of fell into not really because of not knowing what I wanted to do just fell into retail I seemed to have a kind of quite a a natural knack for it Um, and then kind of just I did that for seven years I was a manager Within a couple of years of uh, starting in retail, then I, I ended up being a store manager in London about the age of 21 or 22. Um, and then uh, I think I had what happens to some people where they just realize that London's not for them. This is before smartphones properly came in. I had a BlackBerry Touch, BlackBerry Touch uh, then. Um, so I had a little bit of the internet on the phone, but like I was kind of down there. Um, my now wife had moved back because she hated London. So I was on there in there on my own for uh, six months and just... Uh, just wasn't enjoying it, didn't have any social life. So I ended up quitting my job and moving back um, and not having anything for a while and then got back into retail a bit. But by then I kind of just fell out of love with it. Um, so that's when I started uh, the uh, brand Abandoned Ship. Um, me and my old business partner, um, we were uh, best friends and we it was just before his wedding. Um, we, we put £150 in each to the business. His 150 came from his wedding fund, which he had to swiftly put back in so he didn't get in trouble um and we just bought uh three styles of t-shirt and uh, we sold them i kept all the boxes in my uh in my bedroom just on a little like trolley um and we just wheeled them out because we were uh i was we were flatmates at the time we'd wheel them out sit in the living room and pack packages at the end of our working day so i worked for h&m at the time and he was working for a nightclub in glasgow and that's how we started we got a dot com and we just pretended we were a big deal like we pretended that we had like a customer uh, inquiries team and we had all this and we had all that but it was literally just the two of us doing stuff on our phone like on our breaks going to the post office at lunch and stuff like that and just sending everything out so where did the name come from 
it's not actually as an exciting story as you'd think. Um, we knew we wanted to do a clothing company. Um, like uh, we had a couple of designs, um, and we had the kind of we basically the, they all came about um, through us having drinks and stuff, and like kind of kept talking about it, talking about. It. So we eventually decided to put our money where our mouth was. And then at the time we uh, so we were like, well, we need a name. So the concept was basically to we we went through a lot of stuff, and we decided on abandoned ship because firstly A B. It's at the top of any uh, alphabetical list. So if we were ever like show, showcasing anything or on a website or anything like that, we would always be some, one of the first brands you see. Uh, secondly, band and ship nautical. It's always in style. It's always quite an easy, uh, an easy thing for people to kind of respond to. Um, and one of the key things that we wanted to do with the brand was not to be logo based, like not to be uh, heavily branded. We wanted to actually focus on design. Um, the original concept was that people could see our design from 100 yards away, 200 yards away, and know that it was us um, without it being massively uh, massively branded. It was kind of a response to, at the time, Obey, Only, Rebel 8, those kind of brands that were very much based on a singular logo. Um, so with that, we were like, well, at least people will buy the logo without knowing anything about the brand mm -hmm. so abandoned ship was like well abandoned ship it sounds cool you know, so we thought now obviously abandoned ship is just synonymous in my brain with the brand but at the time we thought that would be it um, and the, the abandoned ship actually came from I was listening to a lot a uh, song by the gallows called abandoned ship and there was another another song um, by a band called Waking Ashland that had that in it as well so I think subconsciously it kind of just came about um, and we added the apparel because abandonedship.com was taken and alliteration, it sounded ASA sounded good, abandoned ship apparel sounded good. So it wasn't, it's not sort of a, one of those like really interesting stories where it's because like our grandfathers were in the Navy or something like that. Um, but it's still, I mean, there's still logic behind it. Yeah, that. yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. more logical than I guess uh, uh, sentimental. Um, and I think that's actually kind of benefited us because the story of the brand is the brand, it's not something behind it. There's not, um, there's not some kind of whimsical story about how it came to be. It came to be, and then the journey of the last seven years is actually hopefully what holds interest for people, like kind of what we, our values and what we hold important um, is what people talk about rather than this kind of backstory. Yeah. So, yeah, so we started seven years ago, um, and it kind of just, it was quite crazy. The, the plan was just to kind of give ourselves a hobby outside of work. We were both feeling a bit jaded with what we'd been doing, um, he was just coming up for furry and working in the nightclub scene. I think he was kind of feeling that he'd achieved everything he could. And I'd been working at retail for a long time then, and it kind of felt like I was going for the motions as well. Um, neither of us thought it was ever going to be something that it was. Um, but within seven or eight months, I'd quit my job, moved to Leicester with my our wife because she was working for Next. So I uh, ran abandoned ship from Leicester for a year out of an attic in a tiny little village. Um, which was kind of interesting, but it, it the we never thought the business give us given me the opportunity to do that. And then he quit his job a little bit after, and going from three hundred pounds that first sort of to start by our second year, our turnover was one point two million. So it was kind of crazy. Like we just we we hit the we hit the retail scene kind of at the right time, but then it eventually turned out to be the wrong time because um, people were throwing a lot of money around, but the bubble was about to burst. So we were we were in ASOS, we were in Top Man, we were in Foot Asylum, and we were in a couple of other traders that are now um, gone into liquidation and gone. Um, so what do you think it was about you guys that set you apart from everyone else? 
Um, I think it was a lot of it's down to sort of the transparency and the lifestyle of the brand. Like we were just young guys, youngish guys who wanted to have fun, make T-shirts that mattered to them, make cool designs. And and that was really it. There wasn't really much of a, like we weren't trying to be anything beyond that. Um, and the stuff we were making at the time was a bit different to the, especially to the high street. Like they, I think our, as I say, our response to not having things too logo heavy was kind of, was kind of a bit new to the high street at the time. So people were really interested in buying that in. Um, and we worked with a lot of really great artists at the time as well. Um, like some really big sort of industry names um, that I think kind of helped a bit of leverage because the design obviously were, were amazing that these guys created for us. And I think uh, it was just something that the high street hadn't really seen yet. Basically, there'd been this really big influx of like really intricate design heavy t-shirts and then there'd been the response to that where it was like very simplistic, very kind of normal. It's kind of like just branded clean t-shirts. And then I think we were the next response after that where it kind of went somewhere in between where it wasn't logo based, but it wasn't intricate. It was quite clean cut, but quite still not brand heavy. So it was just about the artwork. Um, and then from then it's quite funny. Now it's gone kind of away from graphics and it's kind of like it was went into fits and stuff like that. Um, it's just a natural progression of style and fashion basically um but i think that coupled with people were just looking for something new um but unfortunately what happened with that was that it basically just the, there was a bubble there that basically uh ended up screwing us over and eventually because we relied too heavily on the wholesale and then when the wholesale dried up the whole business kind of had to shift um and that happened just under three years ago uh, the business actually went into liquidation um, just because we'd made a couple mistakes um, just with the way that we were looking at it. Obviously, never really done it before. Start with a few hundred pounds, went to high turnover. And when you're playing with that kind of money, it just, it, it's a very quick, like it's very quick to kind of see, pro like to, well, it's easy to miss problems. And then when the problem, when, when the money kind of stops coming in, then you realize very quickly that the business actually doesn't make sense. Um, so we had to, we tried to pull back and we tried to fix everything, but unfortunately it was, uh, it was too late. So working with sort of liquidators, accountants, lawyers, everything like that, we kind of had to basically sell off the business. I ended up buying the intellectual, the intellectual property back to help pay off the last of the debts for the business. Um, and that's where sort of the, the second coming of abandoned ship kind of happened. Luckily in the background, I'd started a business with, uh, Colin in Dundee, our ground. Um, the barbershop um, and that was doing really well um, so when all this happened uh, me and him were in a position separately to kind of go well actually let's do this together um, so we bought the business back uh, what we could what we needed the intellectual property everything like that um, and since then me and him being 50-50 business partners on hard ground to ship and then anything we've kind of gone from there um, but that was obviously it's not the nicest thing to talk about liquidation, but it's something that happened. And at the time it, it kind of created a lot of, uh, I felt really guilty. I felt really sort of just really bad about the whole thing. You don't want to sort of let people down. Like I had to let my team go. Um, I had to fire my wife, which was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my best friends worked for the business. Like I, I brought in a lot of people that I really cared about. Um, and it just, uh, it just was one of the hardest points in my life because obviously you never think about the end of something. You just kind of went, and with this, we just thought that 
it would just go on forever. Like, oh, you make this much money this year. Okay, well, you make more next year. You make more next year. You make more. It just we kind of just saw it just kind of keep going, keep going, keep going. Especially yeah. with that sort of that growth initially. Exactly, I mean, yeah. it's, it's exciting. And That's yeah. it. And and it, and, it, and it, as I say, like when I've seen it happen to a lot of other people, um, and I'm, I'm more analytic about it now. But when you do have that kind of going from nothing to that so quickly, um, it's so easy to miss things. And it's so easy to like realize that you're not operating in the best, the most, the best way possible. Because it's not until you have a hard time or stuff goes wrong that you really actually analytically look at stuff and you actually go, "Why am I spending that? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this?" So you kind of look at it and go, "Oh, I shouldn't have. I, that could have been profit. That could have done this. That could have done that." But you don't realize because there's still cash flow coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so from that um, first experience. Have you changed the way that you do things n- now with this oh, second iteration? Yeah, like some of the some of the decisions I made and some of the stuff I did was unfortunately a bit toxic to um, to the business. Uh, one of the one of the main main things in that regard was that I actually uh, became quite distant from a lot of my team members and uh, kind of withheld myself a lot because I was worried about creating that relationship again with them and then laying someone down again, uh, which is something that I've at least addressed now and I'm working on because obviously that's never a healthy way to to handle life um but in and on the positives yeah mass like massive positives across the whole thing um i i look at this uh as i, I would i refer to it as my second marriage like you learn from the mistakes uh, hopefully i'll never have a second marriage hopefully <laughs> i'll just keep the one i've got but you learn from the mistakes of your first uh first one and then and you kind of try not to do those again um a, a main thing that i try to do now is uh, create sustainable businesses that are uh, dependent on themselves and not on anything else so we were de- we were dependent on wholesale that was one of the key things we were dependent on other people's business to uh, sustain our business so now what i've done is I'm, i've created sustainable businesses we now have uh, uh five we'll have our sixth by the end of the year and it's kind of they're almost it's almost a sustainable ecosystem of businesses that rely on each other um, but not anything out with it. Um, so now we have hard grind barber shop, daily grind coffee shop, abandoned ship retail space, and abandoned ship online. And we've just opened Oh Hello Vintage, a new vintage store in Dundee, um, and we'll have the abandoned ship bar opening at the end of the year as well. And they're all four of those businesses are literally within ten yards of each other on one street, Exchange Street in the city centre. And um, the bar's going to be a hundred yards from there. Um, just down on Dock Street, and I'm assuming that they were all deliberate choices to do that. It's it's funny because Hardgrind was obviously when when Hardgrind opened in Dundee four years ago um, on Exchange Street. The turnover in retail spaces on that street were massive. Like there was there was constant flux, constant change, um, and actually the unit that we've got now was actually available when we took Hardgrind, and me and Colin really wanted to have it at the time, but there just wasn't any um, budget to do that. Um, like we joked about it, we had concepts for it and stuff. We always knew we wanted to kind of expand what we were doing. Um, but the uh, the that when that unit came available, we turned it into it was it was an abandoned ship store that we opened last year in that first unit, and we've moved it since then, and it's now Oh Hello. Um, that was because we had the retail in Hardgrind, but we felt that it, it needed its own home. Then we expanded, and then once we saw that happen. I think that was when it started to kind of fall into place that actually this is an achievable goal, like that we can actually create this. The bar had uh, kind of been in the talks for a little while by that point. Um, these things take a little while. And we kind of knew that what we wanted to do was kind of set up shop and kind of create something here. 
Um, my goal when I was younger was always to open shops all across the world. Um, Abandoned Ship had a shop in Glasgow and had a shop in London at one point, and that was great. But actually, for the business and for myself, it was actually a very stressful time because I was constantly on the road, constantly traveling. And I feel like trying to separate your your time between two cities and two different units or three cities and three different units and three different teams of people is very difficult because you're never feeling like you're giving anyone your full attention, your full time, and people feel left out where they don't feel um, like you're fully committing. So with what we've done now, we've got three teams of people on one street so I can walk between those shops within seconds. If someone needs me, I'm across the road. I'll just come over or, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's changed massively um, the way that we can actually create something and actually have different units as long as they're all kind of like centered. Because sometimes uh, it's difficult just to get across the city to the warehouse and that's a, that's a 10 minute drive. Um, so to say, let's open a shop in Glasgow, let's open a shop in Edinburgh, let's open a shop down in Leeds or Manchester or anything. Like, they would just, they would have to, they would just, it wouldn't, for me, I just wouldn't be able to give the right amount of commitment to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's be something that you would lose, you lose a, a certain amount of control or a certain amount of soul to that project if you kind of opened them. And then that, I think, takes away from the desire that people have to come and visit. Because, I mean, you talk about the, the the proximity of the businesses based oh. upon um, the way that you run them. Um, but also there must be, I mean, it, it feels like you're creating a, I mean, there's a there's a coherence between the aesthetic, the style, the target market even, yeah. of, of who your audience are and the culture the, that you're creating around The audience that. has always been myself, like, and, and Colin, my business partner, like, it's always been, we want to create things for ourselves, like, that we would actually enjoy. Um, I've had the, the luxury of traveling around to a lot of amazing cities through work, um, New York, Portland, Toronto, um, London, Barcelona, all these kind of places that you see these neighborhoods that people talk about, that you see them on social media, you see these amazing shops. And I always look at it and there's always a part of me that's slightly disappointed. The internet's almost kind of uh, taken away a little bit of that thrill of going to this like amazing shop uh, and seeing this stuff because I can buy it online and have it in five minutes. So it's a, for me, it's about customer experience it's about seeing something that isn't just going to be online or um that you can get there like that's why we opened the barbershop originally with the coffee shop because you have to physically come and have a haircut you have to physically come and buy a coffee obviously eventually coffee will probably end up being like you'll be able to get it online somehow but yeah these are these are physical things that people have to come to destinations to actually get and then once they're there then we can actually introduce them to the clothing to everything else to that customer experience um, and that's really what we wanted to create. I wanted to create somewhere that I felt comfortable, like Daily Grind or Coffee Shop. I work in there for mo- most days because I, I love the environment. We've got 60 square meters of artwork on the wall, like all our clothing. The team's great to talk to. The customers that come in are great to talk to. We've got the barber shop next door and all those guys are amazing to talk to as well. So it's just, it's all there. It's a 10 minute walk from my house. So I'm basically creating this playground for myself Especially once we open the bar, that's going to add a whole new element to everything that we're doing with um, the food and the drink and everything like that, that I want to enjoy and then I want to just share it with people. So, And I think that's really important. I think if you create something that's honest and true to what you want and you concentrate on that niche and people that would appreciate that, it won't be for everyone, but some, hopefully most people will find something that they enjoy about it. Um, and with Oh Hello as well, that's a bit away from 
my personal taste, my, it's my wife that actually runs that, um, Amanda. Um, the plan of that was to create something that brings a different customer base in, um, but a customer that will appreciate the other aspects of what we've built and also something that our current customers will appreciate as well. And uh, it's been open for two weeks and it's, it's incredible the change it's made on that street. The amount of new people that's come down, the amount of people talking about it, the amount of press, the amount of everything. And it's just, it's, it's, it's wild to see that that concept has actually paid off in that kind of way. Um, and with that, instead of a classic retail space, again, because I've worked retail for so long, I'm so against classic retail models, um, almost to my detriment sometimes probably. But what we've actually built is sort of a two and a half meter long bar uh, with bar stools that we can actually do um, workshops and networking events and stuff like that. So it's not just going to be about the retail. It's going to be actually about bringing the community together in that setting, in a very stylized setting, um, and actually add more worth to the city again and more worth to the kind of cultural aspects of what everything else we want to do. Yeah, so, I mean, if you'd have done this and created this in another city so say you tried this in an in edinburgh or a glasgow or a, mm-hmm. a leicester or a leeds or how do you think dundee's different in, an, in that aspect dundee's different and this is no disrespect to dundee but dundee is probably about two three years behind glasgow and edinburgh it's probably about five years behind london it's probably about seven or eight years behind sort of new york or somewhere like that um and that's to my advantage and to the business advantage because we can look to these other cities and see what's going on there um, and try and bring that to the city because we can go, well, this is work. This obviously this model's working somewhere else and bring it to uh, to the city. Um, we have made the mistake that we've been too early with stuff before. When we originally opened the coffee shop four years ago, sorry, we um, opened it inside the uh, barbershop and that was based on a model that uh, my friend has got a shop in New York. And basically it's a multifaceted shop, so multi-purpose shop. He's got a coffee shop at the front and then he's got uh, retail at the back. Um, and I love that concept. And, and that concept comes from the high rate, like rents and rate in New York. Like you have to be doing multiple things to cover your bills. Um, so it's a necessity there. Um, but I just really like the idea, again going into the destination aspect of it, I was like, well, let's add this to it. Let's bring more people to it through more aspects of a destination. Um, but what we actually found was when we opened it four years ago, Dundee didn't know what a flat white was. Um, and people didn't understand the concept of like multiple things. But for the first year of Hard Grind, people thought we were a tattoo studio because we had artwork on the wall. Um, and there was a, an aspect of people going, oh, that's Oh, they'll 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 be too cool for me to go into the I don't I, they people didn't really want it didn't know how to interact with it and it was only through um, building up a clientele base and word of mouth that people actually kind of start coming in and realizing that that's not the way we run it that we it's it's very inclusive and we want everyone to come in and um, actually be a part of it um, but that was a that was a learning curve that it's actually sometimes as bad to be too uh, too early to the party than being too late. Um, and with Dundee as well, like rent's really cheap in Dundee comparatively to other places. And obviously, you argue that's down to like the lack of footfall and the lack of uh, people spending. And that that is true to a point. But with what again, what we're creating with the destination shopping is um, places that don't necessarily need to make a massive amount of money to make 
a decent amount of profit and to be there for a long time. We're not in it to make a ton of money in one year and then bugger off. We're here to build a cultural sort of center to Dundee and kind of keep growing and keep adding to that and keep kind of adding to the our sort of neighbors as well. Like we want Flame Tree on the street to do well. We want the cheesery to do well. We want uh, tea and cake to do well because if these other guys are on that street doing well along with us, it's going to bring more people to our street. Um, so we've got a long-term plan in that regard. Whereas if we tried to do it in Glasgow or tried to do it somewhere else, we wouldn't be able to have that much offering for our customer. Or if we did, it'd be a much smaller space um, and we would just be a drop in the ocean compared to a lot of other people trying to do stuff. Um, and one of our biggest uh, 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 sort of uh, assets is our social media following. I think between our sort of uh, online businesses and um, profiles and stuff, we've got well over 100,000 followers kind of floating around there. And that's great. But what we've learned is it's great to have that. It's great to have an, an Instagram presence. But unless you have people actually coming to your shop, actually spending, doesn't mean anything. Likes on an Instagram follow aren't going to actually make any sort of revenue. So, I mean, are there... Are there ways or things that you do that where you try to like localize social media? Definitely, like we have, um, so we have our abandoned ship um, apparel Instagram, which is definitely more of a kind of global account. Um, but we do kind of we refer a lot to the city because I think it's important to kind of let people know. When I speak to a lot of people outside the city, they say um, the only knowledge they have of Dundee is through our posts. And um, we've got a lot of friends who want to come up when we open the bar to see everything that we've built in the last year. Um, and they go, yeah, I don't really know anything about Dundee. All I know is about what you're talking about, what I see on your social media or on a hard ground social media. Um, and then, but then we have our sort of local pages. We have Daily Grind. Um, we just had, we had an Abanaship Dundee page, but we actually just um, deleted that literally two days ago um, to, pa- to pull it into the Daily Grind page. So that that's our main focus in Dundee. We have an Abanaship bar page that uh, we're working on for the, when the launch, bar launches. And then with Hard Grind, that's a really interesting one because that's got about 50,000 followers. But those followers are, are not really our local customer. They're actually probably barbers and people interested in the barbering industry globally. So that Instagram works, whereas we're kind of talking to barbers. We're not talking to our localized clients. But our localized clients know who we are because they come into the shop. So our, almost our social media for that isn't actually built into local the locality because... That's such a like uh, an inclusive environment anyway, so they know it anyway, so they don't really need to know or care if they don't want to about that, because that's kind of almost talking to a different audience. But that audience that we talk to through Hardgrind isn't the people making money. So I mean, can you monetize that that audience that you have on? Well, we have uh, we have our uh, retail for uh, Hardgrind as well. We have our apparel, um, and that's. I mean, I suppose the other question is: Do you want to, or do you need to? Well, we don't need to for the for the barbershop. We don't need to, but we do have the apparel. One of the things we try to do with the hard grind apparel now is actually gear it towards barbers. So there's there's designs where, um, like clients will buy, it, like our our barbering clients will buy it. But a lot of the messages now that we're actually gearing towards our actual other barbers because it's it's one of those things. If you go to a barbershop, I I think our barbershop's really cool. And I, I think that people do support it massively, but there's only so many of a percentage of people that actually want to wear a T-shirt that has their barbershop written on it. So it's about understanding your audience and going, well, there's guys in all over the world who want to work for Hard Grind or want to be a part of that lifestyle. So they're the guys that are going to wear it because they're going to wear it to their work in their other barbershops. And then if we have uh, sort of 
statements about barbering or about like the the sort of barber lifestyle, then they're going to want to buy into that. So that's kind of how we work with that. Um, and with the and then with the abandoned, abandoned ships social media, that's again a completely different thing because our main sort of ninety percent of our income comes from online. So I have that. That's my main telling, selling tool. Whereas so whereas um, social marketing business in that regard. So if I don't have good content and constantly pushing online uh, social media, then the sales are massively affected. Um, I was away last week um, doing a charity event for a whole week, driving a van around the UK. Uh, barbers ride a group of uh, barbers on motorbikes riding around the UK and doing barbering seminars every night to raise money. Um, I, I don't ride a bike. I've got no uh, centre of gravity. So I, uh, I I was the support vehicle in the van, kind of setting up the nights and stuff, um, second year doing it, but didn't have much social media, obviously driving a van most of the day at night doing events. So I didn't really have much time to create content or to really think about social media. Um, and since I got back this week, uh, our turnover has been double compared to last week just because I've had the time to look at the products, move the website about, post about products that we've got a lot of stock of and that kind of stuff um, and it's something that you don't think about sometimes but like you can see an, an instant impact to when you're actually fully focused to when you can't be focused um, and it's that kind of aspect of it's quite stressful because obviously unless you're constantly switched on you, 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 you think about sort of, you go well I'm losing sales it's kind of and like there's obviously scheduling and stuff, but a lot of social media has to be fairly reactive and fairly uh, for the way we do it or the way I do it is definitely uh, quite personal. Um, pers- sorry, personal. So a lot of it is kind of my current thoughts, my current like sort of um, where I'm at in my head. Uh, yesterday I was talking about the fact that I failed art in school because it was um, result day for down in England. Um, so I was just putting out there that obviously I, I failed art in school. Um, didn't go to university, was in college for two weeks, and now I'm going to be 32 in a couple of uh, months, run five businesses, and I, I draw and design for a living. And it's kind of just talking about the... And I, I didn't start drawing again until I was 29. Um, I didn't start my business until I was 24. So it's just kind of talking about, obviously, when you're 17, 18, you think that your world's over if you don't get the exam results you want, that there's so much pressure to decide on what you need to be at the time. But realistically when I'd speak to people about it and I've had, had the opportunity to speak to a couple of people I'm quite blunt quite cynical and I go to be honest when you're 17 18 everything that you think is important isn't going to matter in five years like it's and it's it's not always true but for 90 percent of it thinking back to like a lot of my experiences a lot of my friends experiences it is the case most of the time like you put so much effort and energy into something and then you realize that it's actually not actually the direction that you wanted to go in you're just kind of doing it because of uh, pressure um, and I always kind of find that funny. So that was something I talked about yesterday, the day before I was talking about uh, social uh, sort of anxiety, the day before that talking about um, internet trolls. It just it kind of depends on what's happening at the time and stuff like that. And there's a lot of like you have to kind of work with the energy you're kind of given and like the kind of um, communication you have with your customers as well. Because I mean, it, it sounds like the the tone that you take, as you said, is very personal. Yeah. So would you ever? Uh, consider relinquish, relinquishing control of that to someone else I don't think I can anymore I think actually uh, it's kind of come to that point that for definitely for a managed ship um, that will sort of live and die by how I how I feel about the brand um, obviously going through a liquidation once um, I said at the time where, when we kind of started back up again that when it ends it'll end on my terms 
Um, and definitely my plan over the next decade is to pivot the business. I don't want to be doing t-shirts forever. I think I'll always have an aspect of, re- of apparel, um, but I've been in, I've been doing apparel for seven years myself, and I've obviously worked in retail for a previous seven years before that. Um, so, um, although it's still exciting, and definitely the design and the art aspect of it is, is keeping me really motivated in it. Um, it's not something that I think I can maintain for another f- uh, beyond another five years, especially that level of sort of social media interaction that I'm doing. Um, and also, I have to accept that um, I'm, I'd be very too. There's going to be a point, sort of, in the next probably within the next eight years, I have to really accept that I'm not going to know what's cool and what people actually want to wear. Um, and that's why we're looking at all these other aspects of the business: the vintage shop, the coffee shop, the barber shop, the bar. These are things that. I feel like we can pivot and kind of create multiple revenue streams so that if a bandership does decide to, if I do decide to kind of like wind it down, then I've got other aspects I can focus on. Um, and as I say, I think I'll always want to do some kind of level of apparel. I've definitely always want to do artwork and design, um, but it might just change to something else. It might not, it might not be that a bandership is the, the right um, platform for that anymore. Um, but uh, saying that, if anyone's listening and going, Oh God, he's going to close a bandit ship. There's no plans. There's like, like, there's no, there's no like immediate anything. I just, I'm just, I think at a certain point, especially after the liquidation, you have to be realistic about where you see yourself and what, what you can actually achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and turning very, uh, a big thing for me was what do I want to be doing when I'm 40? How am I going to be making revenue when I'm 40? Um, at the moment, I've, it's not a luxury, but I feel that if everything like, just if I lost everything tomorrow, I know the day after that I can start building again. But I know that also there's a shelf life on that. That in eight years, thirteen years, twelve, twenty years, I might not have the energy or I might not have the resources to start again. Um, so I want to make sure that I don't get to that point. Um, I think a lot of people and a lot of jobs at the moment are unsustainable. Like there's, it's it's people do what they love and I. I and that's amazing, but you have to think about the long-term goals, like the job you're doing when you're 25, 30. Can you be doing that when you're 55? Because otherwise, what are you going to be doing when you're 55? And it's a scary thought to kind of start asking yourself those kind of questions, but like that's where we're at with it. And then, um, I mean, realistically, you could be going until you're 75, 85. Exactly, um, exactly. And like, I don't want to. Um, I don't. I don't think I'll ever be able to stop working. I, I love work, like I, I live and breathe for it and I think a lot of people are the same. I, I definitely want to cut back on the amount of work I do um, and actually enjoy some days off and holidays and stuff, but I know that I'll never fully retire, even if I do retire, I'll always be doing something. So I have to accept that and kind of think about what I actually want to be doing. I love food, I'd love to be in the food industry. With the bar, hopefully that'll be a kind of stepping stone into that. Um, I love working with other brands, building narrative, consultancy and stuff like that that's something that I'm kind of working with stuff like that so it's it's understanding your next step um, and I think that's really important especially because Bannon Ship was an accident um, and at the time I was coming to the end of my retail career and I could tell I hated it I hated working for other people in, in that sort of H&M All Saints top shop I worked for all those guys and I, I just couldn't handle it anymore um, and that was in my mid-20s so if I hadn't accidentally fallen into a ship, I don't know what I'd be doing now. Um, and that that was kind of that's kind of a scary thought in itself. Kind of going, well, I was I was lucky. It was a bit of a fluke of luck. It was it was it was being lucky and then kind of understanding how to ride that luck and actually maintain it. But still, at the same time, 
it was it was just a, a drunken conversation that started a career path that's now got me here. So it's not anything. It was nothing. Any nothing planned. It wasn't like I went to university to do uh, to be a sort of to do business or do anything like that. So now I guess I'm just being a bit more kind of uh, like thinking about where I actually want to be in the future. Yeah. And so, do you find it um, difficult to strike a balance between work and relaxing? Oh, massively. Yeah, massively. Like, um, I I go through phases of being better at it. Um, I just I was on holiday for uh, my wife's birthday about six weeks ago, and I actually had a really nice time. I actually managed to relax. I did an hour's worth of work in the morning every morning, which is maybe not ideal. Most people wouldn't think that that's that's good, but it it was enough to kind of let me actually enjoy the rest of my day. Um, and it, and at the moment, my plan is for the next four months until after Christmas to uh, get everything sorted in the business so that it can run a little bit more automated and a little bit more relaxed so that in January I can take some time off and actually relook at the way I'm actually working and actually take two days off a week because at the moment I'm feeling guilty about taking even a day off. Um, I took a bit of time off at the beginning of this week um, and I still ended up doing some work on the couch and stuff and it's just it's just that thing where I think when you work for yourself, you, there's always something to do. And if it's not you doing it, then who's doing it? Um, and it's, yeah, it's, there's, there's an endless, you've always got an endless to-do list. So it's it's just about trying to get rid of that guilt and trying to get rid of that um, that sort of social pressure that you have to work hard and provide for your family. Um, it's a really toxic concept um, because everyone needs, they, people need to quantify how hard they work the way people quantify how hard they work is the hours they put in, the money they make, or the praise they get, and that's a really, really bad way to think about your life. Like, like you shouldn't be working hard just to say you did sixty hours last week. You should be trying to do what you did in those sixty hours and thirty hours, and actually be proud of the time you've taken off to spend with your family, uh, or just looking after yourself, having fun. Um, and it's something that was instilled into sort of our, well, our, the generation before us and our generation. I think the next generation's got a little bit more of a, a maybe a better grasp of it. Time will tell. And um, people sort of use millennial as a bad, uh, sort of a bad term, but I think actually we're at least going in a kind of the right direction. At least we're all kind of aware of the kind of toxic kind of sort of, situ- uh, sort of uh, situation we're in. Um, but you see people just do the sort of the nine to five, Monday to Friday, not really thinking about anything beyond making sure they've got the money to pay the bills and then we're kind of stretching ourselves to kind of be comfortable but then we're not actually feeling comfortable it's such a weird whole thing um so that's what i mean like all the stuff that we do uh, and that we're doing at the moment is to give myself more time to enjoy myself but on the flip of that i don't feel like i can actually take time off to enjoy myself at the moment so it's it's never i I've got a lot of views on bat life work life balance, but I'm not actually the best person for it myself, uh, which I think is usually the way. I think if we all took our own advice, we'd probably actually be a lot better off. So one of the things I've asked quite a lot of people, it's become a bit of a theme of the podcast, um, is the concept of success. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of prerequisites. There's a lot of sort of traditional measures of that, which is the numbers in the bank account it's the busyness it's mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm really busy and that's the sort of oh yeah. yeah you must be doing really well then or like but it actually might be the flip side of that um but so i've asked quite a lot of people like what 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 are your measures of success well the first thing i would say is um first time i ever really thought about it was actually the complete opposite was during the liquidation 
the the pure sense of failure that I had, like the ultimate like soul crushing sense that I'd failed, um, and then having to own that failure and actually turn it into a positive and build it and build myself back up again, that was a real. Uh, that was that was that was pretty horrible, but also kind of quite. It was. It's one of the worst things that happened, but one of the best things that's happened to me. Kind of understanding that and kind of realizing that there is a there is consequence, and there is there is the chance that things won't work out. Um, with regards to success, I, I never really think about it. Someone actually asked me. Yes, I was doing a, a live uh, chat on um, social media yesterday, and someone asked me, "Oh, do you think you've made it?" And I was like, I don't know what that, that means. Like, to, to me, this is a job and everything I do is kind of a stepping stone to the next thing. Like, um, this is the first time in, a, in since sort of in the last three years that I've actually gone, you know what, now it's time to actually consolidate and actually sort everything out so I can relax. Uh, everything else has just been onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. Um, and I actually don't think that I'll ever really truly appreciate everything that's been done or we've achieved or where we've gone and everything like that until it's all over and I'll go oh okay we did that that's that's pretty crazy um I don't think I don't yeah I don't know I don't really know what success is I think success might be that um having enough money in the bank that I'm not stressed that I can actually take time off that I can actually enjoy myself and know that everything's ticking over um and relax it's definitely not having a crazy amount of money in the bank it's about having enough that I'm, I'm comfortable um it's definitely not about having 17 businesses all running and stressing me out all the time um but i think that um i can be a victim of my own ego and i can be like well yes i'll do this yes i'll do this accepting kind of loads of the always saying yes to to opportunity and i think sometimes you have to kind of step back and not say yes to actually look at it and go, actually, no, I can't do that because you'll end up either burning yourself or, out or letting someone else down. Um, but it's, uh, no, it's it's a weird one. I don't I don't think I'll ever really fully feel successful. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I, it, it's such a finality to that kind of concept. It's like, wh when, do you, when, do you, when do you draw the line and say, okay, I'm successful now? That's a, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's um, like, do you, do, like the last day, like on 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 her, like your last day, do you kind of do you maybe maybe that's uh, when you uh, when you see your eye, your life flash before your eyes and you can make that decision. But I don't know because uh, say like everything I was just talking about, um, there's no like I'm 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 gonna be 32 this year. I have at least well touch wood at least another 32 years on this planet. So I've got to do this all over again. My career so far, my 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 self-employed career has been seven years. That's nothing. So like. I might have a, I, might, well, I won't have a bank job. I've got too many visible tattoos, but I might, I might be working in a co-op in five years. Like, and that's, that might be where I end up and that's fine. Like, but then at the time I might be like, oh yeah, that was, that was a great ride I had, but you never know. So you can, I don't think you can ever really quantify or kind of decide. Yeah. And I think there's that sort of, uh, this inbuilt thing in society and, the, the way that we are it's just like that we're always looking for that next thing you're always looking for that next Definitely. step and how can i improve this or make this better Definitely. Or whatever it is a, lo a lot of what drives me in business is the excitement of the next project um and like getting to that next step and the other things facilitating the next thing um i, I kind of refer it to kind of like playing a game of sim city um 
it's always that kind of like build up, build up, build up. But you have to accept at some point that just plateau, just just enjoy. If something's not working, have the uh, confidence to cut it off. Like don't get, don't, like if, if, if one of the businesses wasn't working for me now, I would hope that I've got the common sense and the lack of ego to go, you know what, that's not working. I have to close that to save the other businesses. I don't think I would have had that before. I don't think a lot of people have that because they'll see that as failure. You'll go, right, the coffee shop's not working. Well, I'll just keep going and going and going, take money from a different business. And then what you actually find is that it's just a black hole because you don't want to be seen as failure as failing. But to be honest, that's actually, it's, it's a much healthier way to look at it to go, well, that's not working. There's nothing else I can do. This has to end now to save the rest of the businesses or to save my own mental health. But I think a lot of people do just get sucked into that. Like they're scared of failing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think success, just sort of thinking about it there, I think that's a term that people, other people use for other people. It's not something that ever you really probably maybe think about yourself or maybe other people do. But I think it's something that other people use as a descriptive term or kind of when they're talking about someone else or to someone else that they go, oh, they're successful. But I don't think, I think for me especially, I mean, anyway, it's, uh, I never think of it that in those terms. So it's just kind of, I think it's just, that's maybe more, it's more people thinking about other people. In that yeah, time. I mean, it's never something you'd use as to describe yourself. Yeah, because I, I, I look at um, my peers and contemporaries and I would say, yeah, they're successful. They're doing really well. They're successful. But it's not something that I ever really kind of look to myself for. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's a term I use, but never really thought about in the grand scheme yeah. of it. And I suppose we've talked about the sort of, high stress managing a lot of different projects at the same time a lot of different businesses um and getting that work-life balance right and and i know you've sort of spoken about in the past about anxiety about mental health mm-hmm. um so i wanted to ask you i mean how do you what do you do personally to, to sort of put yourself in a good frame of, of mental health or what do you do you have anything that, that helps you um it's the, so the last two years, I keep going back to liquidation, but that, that was where like things really hit a low point for me. I started having panic attacks, and that's when like um, my anxiety really got a hold of me, and it, it felt really um, really hard to kind of to deal with anything, and to I, I lost a lot of confidence in myself, um, and that was one of the main kickers. I um, I felt like an imposter a lot of the time. I felt like I, I didn't deserve to kind of keep going and, and to do everything we were doing, and, and try, I didn't I didn't feel like I deserved to try and rebuild the business. Um, and I put a lot of stress on myself at the time. Um, I went through the liquidation, trying to save my old business partner from from the stress of it, but also trying to save my new business partner from the stress of it. I didn't want to give him a broken toy. I wanted to fix it as much as I could. So I put the stress of that all on myself. Um, and I did that very sort of toxic masculinity, man up, just get through it, provide kind of attitude at the time. Um, which I shouldn't have done. I should I, I should have asked for help and I should have um, been more sensible about it. But it was that thing that was ingrained in me that you have to deal with this. Like, don't put this on someone else. Don't make someone else deal with this because it feels awful. So just deal with it yourself. Um, and that, that, was, that, that almost broke me. Well, to be fair, it did break me for a long time. And I tried a lot of things to fix it. Um, and I, over the last couple of years, I went through a lot of periods of being like, you know, I'm better now. I feel a lot better. I feel a lot more myself. And I always refer to it as feeling more myself. Um, and I, actually, to be honest, it wasn't until about five months ago that I actually got back to a, a healthy place in my mind. I look back and 
last year I thought I was in a good place, but actually I, I, I wasn't. Um, and I think that's, you, you have to own your truth. You have to understand how you feel. Like it's very easy to put a facade on for other people. And it's also very easy to put a facade on for yourself and kind of go, no, I feel better. I feel better. But looking back, it's like maybe drinking a bit too much, maybe burying myself in, in, uh, in my head in the sand a bit. I was definitely better than I was the year before. Um, so I would say there wasn't really a quick fix. There wasn't really a way I got out of it. It was it was just time. I needed to I needed to heal. I had a, a lot of um, conversations with my business partner and my wife that I didn't maybe want to have, and I maybe handled it in the, in the wrong way. And looking back, I realized that I felt the victim in it, but actually I was the one that was to blame in a lot of the kind of conversations that we had. Um, and again, that's a really difficult thing to kind of accept. But until you kind of start accepting that stuff, it's it's really sort of you're never really going to get past it. Like um, one of the main things that I realized I was doing was kind of push, as I said earlier on, pushing people away. So I would decide that people didn't like me and that they were acting weird, but it was actually myself that was actually pulling myself out of sort of social environments and conversations and kind of closing myself off and, and reading things the wrong way and then kind of making into a really weird environment. And it was me. And, and I realized, when you realize it's yourself that's doing it, you're like, oh crap, I've been doing this for two years and um and then trying to snap yourself back out of it um and it actually wasn't until five months ago that I really felt myself again and it's actually funny that the reason it happened was I got really fucking angry at something that was going on in work and it just it just broke this like weird feeling like this weird kind of like cloud that I had over myself because I had to deal with it and then I, it kind of brought a lot of my confidence back. It brought a lot of like who I was back. And then as soon as that happened, it kind of changed my perception of of who I how I'd been acting, and then and who it was. And I, and and then from there, it was almost like a small a small victory, which sounds crazy because obviously you don't want to be angry and you don't want to you don't want to well, you do want to be angry. You have to be angry. I think what had happened was I distanced myself from actually like properly like. Uh, reacting to things for so long that actually getting to the point where I actually had like proper like intense emotion intense anger was the breaking point and then having that small victory and that was kind of a stepping stone then small victory small victory small victory and now I actually feel like um I'm, I'm not obviously mental health is an ongoing thing you have good days you have bad days but I feel more confident in myself which is a big thing um I, I trust my I trust my own judgment um and I'm, I'm I've, I've got to the point where I feel comfortable talking about a lot of stuff that maybe I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about before because I, I know that it's a cathartic thing to talk about and I know that it's important to talk about it. Um, for example, um, during the liquidation, um, sorry, I keep bringing that up, but uh, uh, a newspaper article was run about myself, not about my business part, my ex-business partner or about the business, about myself and my conduct during it, which was, it was all lies. But I felt so... Um, so it, it basically hype, heightened my sort of critical self, like how I felt about myself, like the critical nature I had about myself. Um, and I felt really sort of awful about it for so long. Whenever someone brought it up, it just kind of brought on all these awful feelings and all these kind of, all this guilt and all this kind of misplaced sort of, like all this misplaced sort of emotion. Um, and someone actually tried to bring it up again uh, on social media, I'm, I'm uh, someone who I've got a lot of mutual friends with at the weekend. Um, I didn't read the post, um, but I got told about it by a couple of people, and I just went fuck it. I don't care. Didn't didn't go and look for it. Didn't read it. Um, 
just left it and I was like I couldn't have done that a year ago I couldn't have done that six months ago probably um, but it's good to know that I put that to bed and that like that part like I I know I, I know I say I can't use the expression I know my own truth I know I, I handled myself in the best way I possibly could um, and I've beat myself up about it enough that I just went doesn't matter but, uh, yeah I mean I think social media is this ever present being in our lives yeah. now that it's it's really easy to let that take over and to to get obsessed by the oh, the negative things that people say or the comments that they leave which could be done completely flippantly without any thought yeah but then they can get really get to you yeah well it's it's funny uh rupaul uh says um something along the lines of if they don't pay your bills don't pay them no mind something like that don't pay your bills pay them no mind something like that um and i love that because the, the the people that post this stuff, the, the, that kind of stuff, they're not they're not my customers. They're not part of the community that I've tried. I tried to create. I I might be able to convince them, but probably not convince them that what they think is wrong. So why care? Like they're never gonna they're never gonna come round to that. Or if they might come round to it, great. But they're not they're not on my radar because I don't want that negativity. So I'm on their radar, which says probably more about them than it says about myself and you just have to leave that alone and just like just focus on the positive focus on the people that actually make a difference to your life if that's your family your friends your customers your community that's what's important you just put positivity out there and try and um, try and keep building that up um, I always work to the Peralto principle which is 20% uh, of your action creates 80% of um, your what's the word 20% of your action creates 80% of your uh, results. Results, sorry. Um, and that works for, that's supposedly a, um, something that works in all aspects of life. So basically 20% of your customer base will create 80% of your profit. So I work towards that eight, that 20%. I don't mind about the 8%. The 8% will come and go. They're quite happy. They'll buy some stuff. They might not. They'll never fully buy into what we try and create. But that 20% will. They'll become diehard fans. They'll become part of the family. Um, and then they'll keep coming back. And I'm not just saying, obviously, about spending money, but they'll keep coming back in, their spend, in, in respect to commenting, to understanding the business, to dropping into the coffee shop, to being a part of that. They're the guys that want to come to Dundee to check out the bar. So, and the, and the way I do that is just by being honest and telling people about my political views, my about my social anxiety journey, about all this stuff. And those people are just people like myself who get that. They're into the same kind of stuff. They agree with this, the kind of points of the, of the business, um, and all the artwork that we that we do, all the designs, all that kind of stuff. It's all based on that anyway. So they want to wear that stuff. They want to be part of that, um, and I think that's important. It's just focusing on the the people that actually matter. Yeah, and um, so just before we finish up, um, look into the future. Mm. Um, having created this sort of this community in the city, um, like what. What do you want to see in Dundee's future? Well, with what we're creating at the moment, um, we're referring to it as downtown Dundee. So it's um, sort of basically trying to create a sort of independent area in the city centre of Dundee between the new waterfront that's going on and the, the existing city centre, basically from uh, for local people between uh, Commercial Street and Union Street. Um, and what we're really wanting to do with there is just create a sustainable culture uh, sorry, a sustainable, a sustainable cultural hub in the city centre that um, just 
has full of independent retailers and just something exciting so that people when they come they can get like they can see what Dundee's actually got to offer beyond sort of the uh, the usual high street stores or the kind of very kind of tourist based stuff that we'll probably see down the waterfront um and that for me what i want to do with that is have the artwork on the walls like the sort of public art and make sure that what we're offering as our own businesses can be as the best possible it can be, but then also helping um, our neighbours to be, remain sustainable as well so people have other op- options to go to. Like, I think competition is a good thing. I think if there's five coffee shops in that area to pick from, and as long as they're not obviously all clones of each other, then that's great. That means that you've got people who, like, there's loads of opportunities, there's loads of uh, different things. Like, if people are here for a couple of days or a couple of different trips, like they don't have to always come to the same place. That's kind of weird. That you want to be able to like move around and like do different things, like loads of different shops. It's good to it's good to have options again. Like we've got two clothing stores now on on one street, and they're completely different cl- customer bases. And then we're talking with our our friends who have got a shop in. Uh, they're going to be opening a shop hopefully in town, um, a brand called Little Lies, and that's a women's retailer. But there's no animosity between the fact we've just opened a sort of a predominantly women's retailer, kind of where they're going to be because. We're, we're going to work together and we're going to create something that they're going to sell. They, they sell quite, on paper, it might look quite similar, but it's different enough that it's not going to kind of cause any issues. And it's about creating that sense of community and working to kind of create something really interesting so that we can all sustain this business, all these businesses for the next decade and actually grow and kind of keep making cool stuff. That's all it's down to, really. Um, and I say with that, it's, I think for me, the the main things is to, get more people excited about adding art and adding culture to that like more events more street art more street vendors that kind of stuff is going to be massively important um dundee is a, a city of design a unesco city design um and looking at kind of other cities that are known for art and design there's so much that we can do that we're not maybe looking at doing yet um but i understand it's a slow burn that we've got the vna opening next month by the time it comes out, it's probably this comes out. It's probably about so maybe already be open or <laughs> mm, probably be oh, yeah probably yeah just yeah. just about to be open yeah, yeah exactly so that, yeah. yeah so it's just about to open which is great but I think what that'll do is um, I don't think it'll make a massive change to uh, um, like sort of footfall into the shops and stuff I don't, uh, not straight away anyway um, but I think what it will do is it'll put more of an eye on Dundee so we'll hopefully see a lot more kind of growth in those aspects not maybe not maybe in like money coming into the city straight away as I say but culture coming into the city I think there'll be a lot of people wanting to kind of be a part of that which I think is going to be a good thing for us yeah. um, but everything that we're doing in the city is despite the V&A not because we don't like the V&A but we want people to come to Dundee despite that being there so with what we're doing is right now you can come you can buy the t-shirt get the haircut have a coffee go to a workshop and oh hello then go to our bar have a couple of drinks have some food like the next logical step for us is to open a hotel so you can stay, <laughs> you can you can sleep in one and in a design bedroom. It's it's, but that's what it's about because as I said earlier on, so many people don't know that much about Dundee. What our customers know about Dundee is what we're telling them. Um, and for me, I used to want to go and to all these events all over the place. We used to do loads of tattoo conventions. We used to we do New York Comic Con every year. This is the first year we're not doing it, um, which has been a great opportunity for us to do. Um, a great excuse to go to New York and to to meet people and to be in that environment. But um, now what I want to do is I want to bring people to me um, and actually show them what we can create in our own environment. And that's that's more exciting to me now than to build a stall at an event um, in a different country. 
Um, I think it, I mean it's really important for the city to have these these voices. So yeah. you've got the, the the big shouty one at the museum, yeah, and that's a reason to come. And then you've got everything that you're doing. But what we need is all those different voices and all these things offering these different perspectives on the city. Definitely, and this is why, like, I'm trying to work with um, sort of Dundee institutions and kind of like pull pull them together. So um, we're working with the guys at Clark's Bakery. They're going to be supplying us with um, some stuff for our coffee shop because that's a Dundee institution. People, I I grew up with Clark's Bakery. Like, they know what they're doing. Like, I've been speaking to the guys a lot about uh, went and had a tour of like their kitchens and everything like that. They've just opened like a butcher shop and everything. It's and it's great. And those guys are doing some really exciting stuff. Seventy One Brewing, they're doing amazing stuff as well. Obviously, um, sort of. I think it's Dundee's first uh, proper brewery, isn't it? And they're 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 great guys. Are doing some really cool stuff. Um, the guys at Bird and Bear, and we've got Bird and Bear and Draffins and King of Islington. Um, they're the guys that we're working with on abandoned ship bar, and they're creating some really exciting stuff in the city centre. And those are just like free, sort of groups of uh, businesses or free groups of businesses I've really started to interact with um, there's so many more and and what I want to do is kind of create that network and bring everyone together so that yeah I want to sell that beer in this bar and I want these guys to do the pop-up bar for this event and I want to sell like and it's all that kind of stuff and it's all bringing it together um, Dundee Pride's a great example of that uh, the 22nd of September trying to bring all these guys into be a part of Dundee's first Pride event um, because it's a great way to showcase what Dundee can do and Dundee can offer rather than get sort of outside uh, sponsorship and outside sort of help. It's like create something local that we can share about globally but with businesses that maybe people haven't heard of because they're just local to Dundee. Try and be sort of less sort of um, insular and kind of push that out there, especially with the eyes that are coming onto Dundee with the V&A and everything. It's so important to kind of talk about that stuff. Um, and as I say, there's so many more businesses that I've not had the opportunity to, to work with or to meet. And that's going to be a massive thing for me in the next couple of years is to kind of try to like interact with everyone and kind of build up that network as much as possible. Um, I joke, we joke about it. Uh, I want to be mayor of Dundee one day. And obviously that doesn't exist as a, as a, as a title, but I, I genuinely want to kind of work with as many people as possible and kind of make sure that that everyone can be part of something because if we're all in competition with each other, but it's a bad competition, then we're not really going to achieve anything. We're just going to see people go out of business and, and then no really kind of connectivity and like kind of sort of synergy in the city. But if we all work together and obviously overlap where we can, like obviously you can't have five drinks companies all like overlapping on drinks, but they might all want to work at an event together or they might want to, you know what I mean? It's this, there's always, there's always ways that business can work together. Um, and I think that's kind of where I want to see the future of Dundee going. Like, we've got it's a small city, and there's a lot of opportunity, but it's it, the potential won't be there unless we all kind of work together. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I mean, I'll just leave it there. I think. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, but if if anyone wants to find you or get in touch, how do they do that? Um, so abandoned ship is abandonedshipapparel.com. Um, Instagram is at abandonedshipapparel. So really easy. If you Google us, you should be able to find us. Uh, hardgrind is hardgrind.co.uk or Instagram is at hardgrind underscore. Um, to be honest, all the other ones you'll be able to find from those two. Those are our main ones. Um, if you want to visit us in Dundee, we're pretty much on Exchange Street. Walk down Exchange Street and you'll find us. Uh, the bar will be opening on Whitehall Crescent in November. 
that's probably about it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thanks very much. No worries, thanks. So that's it for this week. Thank you to Richard for coming on and being so open and honest about his journey and about his struggle as well with mental health and sort of giving us, I mean, it was an amazing insight into how he runs a business and how he's trying to build that culture, that alternative voice in in Dundee. Um, um, yeah, so that's it for this week. Um, next week, I've got another fantastic guest, one that I'm sure many of you already know. Um, it's Mike Press. So he will be coming on to tell his amazing journey. I mean, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. And he is a phenomenal storyteller as well. Um, So it's another great episode next week. But if you don't already, if you're new to the podcast um, or you've just not done it, go and follow us. It's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Or you can search CCC Dundee or Creative Chit Chat on any of your podcasting platforms and subscribe there. Um, But yeah, that's it for this week. Goodbye.